Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. It's an amazing, amazing Sunday night here on Planning Phase Syndicate. Tonight, welcome to the show. We are uh, we have an amazing, um, an amazing episode planned tonight. This is episode seven, cutting the obstacle chatter. And tonight, our goal is is to kind of talk about obstacle placement. Um, though I will tell you, I am not the expert. Uh, that's why I have these other two gentlemen that will be joining me in a minute, because my obstacle placement is typically based on the fact that I play a lot of swarms um, and whether I want my opponent to run into rocks or not. So we brought on a couple other people that know a little bit more about obstacle placement than myself. And then we're also going to be talking about cards uh, during our roll call segment that actually affect the obstacle placement or utilize some of them. We have a system malfunction segment tonight as well, where we're going to be kind of talking a little bit about um, some cards you've never heard of. Uh, for example, the Teflon belly rub. I don't know. You know, it, it's really good on my pork, pretty good on the steak, not so good on the chicken. But we're going to talk a little bit about some unknown cards that are partially to do with obstacles that are things that I would like to actually see in play at some point in the future. And I'll get into that in a little bit because I'm actually very excited about the Teflon belly rubs because I love seasoning. And I really love that card. Um, and then we're going to do a Rebel Hanger Cadet. Charles is going to help us build a scum list that is hopefully a different variation than what Ryan and won the Lemu tournament here this weekend on GSP, our Gold Squadron podcast. If you don't know who they are, uh, but know who we are, thank you. We love you. And that's amazing. But, um, we're going to be talking a little bit about the tournament uh, Charles and I played in this weekend, some of our how fun we were about things and different things like that. Without further ado, though, let's bring in Charles and Matthew. How are you tonight, guys? Good. Do I have anybody? Doing all right. So tonight is going to be super fun because we get to talk about obstacle placement, right? So we've done all this prep work through episodes one through six about the planning phase, system phase, setup phase, and all these different things. And I really wanted to focus on um, obstacle placement this week because to me, it's, it's, it's a very important part of it. And it was kind of funny because I think Matt is the guy that got me to watch. It's the 186 Ali, uh, Ali Pocknell video. Squadron one, uh, is it 186, 186 squadron? It's either that or 176. Ali Pocknell, yeah. <laughs> it's Ali Pocknell. I don't know. We'll find a link and post it later if you all want. But they, he talked, he goes in, he, they use a different system than TTS, but they go into depth about what they would do um, for obstacle placement. And I think the difference is, is he's talking about it from a tournament set up from, you know, these are people that like do this and like win all these tournaments. And none, none of the three of us have ever won a tournament. So, um, well, I think, Charles might have, but at least the two of us have not won tournaments. So it's kind of, we're going to go through this on a different matter because we're going to talk to you about how you would set them up to benefit you versus what you need to do to win a championship, right? Because let's face it, the goal of the show is to help out beginners as they start out. And in the end, if you know a little bit, you can be a little bit more dangerous than you are. But without further ado, Charles, how was your weekend? Um... Overall, it was good. Uh, I only had one day off, which was my uh, my time for Lamu. Um, I ran, went two and four, so not my best outing. Um, but flying an extremely non-meta, something that I had fun. And for the first time in a premier level tournament, I didn't drop. I played all six games all the way through. 
Uh, I think that was helped by a player who uh, graciously had some technical issues and bowed out. So I had an hour and a half break in the middle of the tournament, um, which helped me kind of push through to the uh, to the other half. Um, but other than that, I think it was a pretty solid outing. Scum was uh, very well represented. Uh, top faction uh, count for the tournament. So I was very happy with that. Lots of different lists. Lots of Zam Wessel, both crew and pilot. So uh, I would probably venture to guess that in the next points change, whenever we get that, I think Zam would go up. Uh, thermals will probably go up. And I would venture to believe Gleb and uh, uh, Gamut Key will probably see points increases on those because they were uh, a plenty this weekend. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think I think Charles, you know, I, I think the Zams are probably necessary at this point. I mean, at this point, we've we've all probably played enough Zam to choke a horse, and um, <laughs> or if you've played against us you've probably played enough Zan to choke a horse and uh and so i do think that to some extent we're now seeing another overpower kind of like what we did a little bit with boba fett um at the beginning of last year and and how boba was so prevalent in the meta well if you're running cis you're the point of running css not to run two fire sprays right i mean like in the long run we have fire sprays and scum you want to run scum you can run fire sprays you don't need to run them in CIS and and adding of the CIS has been a blessing for me. I've enjoyed it so insanely much. But at the same token, it's, it's taken away um, from kind of that original style of the separatist play. And and while that's not a bad thing or should be a bad thing, it's one of those things where we want to ensure that there's a fair you know a fair thing that goes into it. So Matt, how was your weekend? Oh, busy, busy, busy. Um, still working on things. I actually had a chance to play some table games, which is good. I didn't, uh, I didn't have a tournament like you guys did, obviously, which, uh, you know, is kind of a fun thing, but I was able to actually get some little plastic ships on a game mat. It was quite nice. Enjoyed it. I did get a chance to play out a, um, let's see here. I played a, a scum list with Zam, of course, because you pretty much have to strap it onto every list you play nowadays. And I uh, got a chance to put it up. 4X-Wing, 2Z95 with uh, Thread Tracers. Can confirm a fun uh, little setup. I enjoyed that one. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. So other than that, I really, you know, I've been busy with work. But other than that, had a little bit of a chance this weekend to have some fun. My parents visited from Florida. Got a chance to see them this weekend, which was really nice. And uh, yeah, other than that. It's busy. <laughs> awesome. Well, with that being said, why don't we go ahead and jump into our Academy 101. So tonight with our Academy 101, I thought we would, we're going to bring up TTS here a minute. Um, and, and we're going to show you some rock and obstacle placement, correct, Charles? So, Charles, if you want to go ahead and, like, intro it, that'd be awesome. Sure. So, one of the first things that you do uh, when setting up your initial play field, and one of the things that randomizes, one of the first things that randomizes the game uh, is generally your obstacle placement. Now, what are obstacles, you may ask, uh, especially if you're a newer player? 
Um, obstacles are one of three objects uh, that you can pick from. Uh, you can have three different obstacles. They can all be the same type, but they have to be different ones. Uh, each player brings three to the table with them, uh, and then you place them uh, based on first player order. Uh, the obstacles that you have a choice for them are the asteroid, uh, which is this rock here. With an asteroid, if you go over the rock or land on the rock, you miss your action. Uh, you roll one red die on a hit or crit. You take that damage, whether it be hit or crit. Um, and you, if you land on the rock, so a piece of your ship remains on it after completing its maneuver, um, then you cannot shoot. Uh, this is the only obstacle that has that side effect that you cannot shoot if you are on it. Um, they are very punishing uh, obstacles should you decide to play them. Uh, the second obstacle that you have the option of is a debris field. Uh, with a debris field or a debris cloud, as they are commonly referred to, um, if you fly through or land on, you take a stress, which also causes you uh, to miss your action for that turn. Uh, you roll one die, and you take damage in this one only on a crit. Uh, with that, you do get to shoot if you are in the debris field. Uh, and then the third and final object that you have uh, the availability to choose from is the gas cloud. Now, these are uh, new. Uh, well, newer, I guess, would be the, uh, the way that we would look at it. Uh, they were the most recent addition uh, to the obstacle placement. Uh, with a gas cloud, if you fly through or land on, you lose your action for the round. Uh, you do roll a red die, but on a hit or a focus, uh, you take a strain token. Um, a strain token allows or forces your ship to roll one evade die on the first shot, or one less, excuse me, one less evade die um, on the first shot that's taken. Um, if you shoot through any of these obstacles, uh, the defending player... Uh, gets one additional die, uh, one additional defense die to roll against you. Uh, and with the gas cloud, uh, if you're shooting through the gas cloud, then the defending player not only gets one additional die, uh, but they also get to do they also get to change one of their results uh, to a, an evade result. Um, so each of them have their own way of playing into the way the game is played. Um, realistically, you see a lot of Fragile ships, more AC ships like the uh, the Ada, the Delta Seven B, uh, Fang fighters, um, any really what I would consider to be a fragile or high agility ship that's very dice dependent. Uh, often they will bring a lot of gas clouds, um, just because they rely on them green dice. So they want to get shot through the gas cloud because it gives them the free evade, uh, and it helps them stay alive longer. Uh, I think it was top four. There was an Obi Wan that was almost immortal. It seemed. Um, yeah, boss couldn't take him off the table for whatever reason. Yeah, I don't know what happened there. Uh, system phase says blank only on the gas. Yeah, blank only on gas. It is yep. only a blank. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I was going to clarify later on, but yes. What? So, what do you mean only a blank? So, so when you're shooting through a gas cloud, you must have oh, yep, a, a blank yep. result to change to a, an evade, not a, a focus result doesn't change. You said a got result. It. Okay. 
But it still helps level the dice in your favor because if you're rolling three green dice, theoretically speaking, if we're looking at the mathematical odds, you should get one focus, one evade, one blank if your dice are rolling perfectly within the odds. Uh, we know that dice variance doesn't always go perfectly within the odds, but more often than not, you're rolling one blank uh, pretty much every turn. Or if you're Fenrir out range three with a focus, uh, you're rolling four blanks every single time. Um, now, the strategy for them, if you're flying ships that have uh, tractor beams, you want big targets. Uh, tractor beams allow you to move ships and place them onto the rocks. Um, if you're flying ships that like stress, um, Zit uh, ten, Tenum, the B-Wing that uses his own stress as a focus token? Yes. Yep. So, like, if you have Tenum, then you probably want to run Debris Field. Because uh, then you can fly through them and give yourself a stress for flying through it, which basically gives you a focus anyway with that ship. Um, or a calculate, really. It's not a focus because you can only change one result per stress. But still. Oh, it's uh, It huh? works as a focus. Is it too. all of them? It's a focus, oh. yes. Fair enough. Yep, if Fair you look enough. on the screen, it says, while you defend or perform an attack, you can spend one stress token to change all of your all eyeball of results to evade or hit. This tendum is awesome. bad tukus. Yes, he dies very quickly if he flies against me. I go all in. Um, if you're flying more... He's still better ship, than Torkoal Mux, so I don't care what anyone says. I'll fly against Tendum versus Torkoal Mux all day long. Fair enough. Well, you don't have to worry about Torkoal Mux anymore. Uh, meta allows <laughs> for Gamut Key. It allows for Kanan Jarrus. It allows for any of them to be in the Hawk. So... Um, that being said, uh, large rocks versus small rocks. Um, if you're looking at, like, say, the asteroid, you have the the larger variants, but we also have the... Where's the mustache? Uh, oh, that's not... It's in the I, other obstacle pack. TFA. Yep, I got it. Yeah. Um, so you get a bunch of... As you can see, there's plenty of... There's 12 different ro uh, asteroids that you could choose from. There's the dolphin... Uh, there is the mustache rock. Okay, can uh, I ask a question? Do they really sure. have these names, or did you name these? Or is this like your um, names? So if you talk to like players and you say the dolphin rock, they'll know this. If you say space bacon, they'll know that that's this gas cloud, this one right here. That's the space they're, bacon. They're widely accepted um, names, if you will. Yeah, they're not official. Like if you if you like, look in any card pack or anything like that, they're not. Um, but. Uh, yes, that's some of what they are referred to. Um, you're just jealous because my mustache is better than yours. Anyway, um, but uh, that being said, um, if you're flying more nimble ships, big rocks don't matter so much just because you can you can uh, bend around them and do what you need to do. Uh, if you're flying bigger ships, uh, for instance, Bosk or Dangar, or you're flying a Decimator or some other large base ship, um, they tend to bring smaller obstacles just to make them easier to, uh, to avoid. Um, when you place the rocks at the beginning of the game, uh, normally you do so at range 2 from any board edge. So this interior square here, this entire thing, is fair game. When you're playing on a regular table and you don't have tabletop simulator to mandate this for you, uh, you do use your line of sight tool, uh, your rangefinder, 
Uh, it's going to be at least range two and one away uh, from any other, at least one away from any other obstacle uh, for placement rules. Uh, normally, first player places first rock, second player second rock, and you go back and forth placing on the boards. Um, as far as strategy, um, I don't know that I'm the one to talk to on this. I generally will try to take whatever the biggest rock is and place it here. I always place there first uh, just because it gives – I try to place in these bottom corners – uh, nearest my ships. It gives me a lot more open area to fly. Uh, I generally have either a lot of small bases or a couple large bases and a medium base or something of that nature. Uh, it allows for maneuverability. Something to think of. Um, a lot of people will load up and they'll stick all of them on the opponent side of the board. Um, be careful when you do that just because you're flying towards that. So if your opponent is leaving from their start area, they deal with those rocks once as they fly towards you, whereas you are dealing with that entire cloud as you are flying towards them and will eventually then have to turn around. Um, so sometimes, depending on your list or how you fly, it may be better even to load up the cloud and rocks on your side of the board. Um, let's see here. Once all of the rocks are placed out, so once all six uh, obstacles have been placed on the board. I'm going to get rid of this one. Can you promote me, Chris? Um, you know what? Don't worry about it. I got it. So now that we have all six of our obstacles placed on the map, then we go into ship placement. Uh, ship placement for this uh, changes the rulers a little bit. So you are within one of your board edge. So within one range one of the board edge, um, you can place your ships however you want with whatever heading that you want. Um, however, there is one alternate, uh, one alternate option here. Bear with me just one moment. If you are flying a large base ship, uh, this is the only piece of ship that violates the range one rule. Uh, and it is only in a very specific situation. So I'm going to use Bosk as an example. If you set Bosk on any sort of a diagonal angle and you put his back corner against the board edge, the base, which is a two straight maneuver, straight front to back, so it's like a two and some change. Uh, no, maybe it's two because it's square. So it's two corner to corner will stick out past uh, the edge of the range one barrier. Uh, this is only allowed uh, when you are using a large base ship and when you're placing one corner of that ship against the board edge. Um, side placement can be used. So some people will set up their ships facing down board of their opponent. Uh, when you do this with a large base ship, while they move slow because of their base placement, 
uh, they move relatively fast. Uh, so what a lot of players like to do is they'll rotate their ships like this, uh, and they'll fly along their board edge and then turn in and come down the board uh, around the rocks, allowing themselves a little bit more planning time before having to engage their opponent. Now with Bosk, you don't have to worry about the last step of placing your ships, um, but with ships like Dengar or any other ship that has a turret arc, uh, the last stage of placing your ship is determining what direction you want your arc to be facing. Uh, whether you want it out of the front of your ship uh, or the left or right, or in some cases even the rear of the ship, uh, depending on your preference or what your plan is uh, as you're flying in. Uh, with that being said, it does allow you to be able to plan that. Once all of your ships are down in pilot order, uh, you then start the game. You start planning your maneuvers and getting ready to roll dice and shoot at each other. Um, as far as obstacle placement, it's a lot of it's a lot of flavor. Uh, it's a lot of taste on what you want to fly for your list. Um, placement, if you're flying big ships, like I said, you want to keep them spread out. If you're flying, or I'm sorry, flying big ships, you want to keep the rocks tight together so you have more board space to fly on. If you're flying your small ships, you want to spread them out so you have more room to fly in between each one of them and not have to worry about hitting anything. Um, if you guys have any questions on rock placement or anything like that, please feel free to let us know. We're more than happy to address any in the chat. Um, but that is essentially most of rock placement. What about you guys? Any questions or anything that I missed in going over that? I actually did have a question. You didn't really cover um, placement to discourage placement or uh, to stop placement of other obstacles. So placing uh, obstacles to um, to make it impossible to put another obstacle in certain spots. Have you ever done that? Exclusion placing. Absolutely. So when we look at this box, most people will like to pick a corner, right? They like to have their rocks in the corners. They want to spread them out. Um, but something that you can do that messes with some people is if you go three out and two or even three and three because this rock is now within one of this i don't think there's an obstacle that can be placed in this corner so if you even the smaller ones i don't think they can be placed in there i might be wrong but i don't think they can nope i think you're right i ran into that this weekend just so you know so when you place them inward, such like this, then you force your opponent's hand in where rock placement goes. So like this one could probably, maybe, nope. So you could fit one here in the center, maybe. Ooh, did I do that right? That you can't even put one in the center anymore? Maybe. Depends on now where that's, it's set. You can put something just slightly. There you go. You, know, you could fit one that one there. And then I don't know if this would fit, but you'd probably be able to fit this one out here. So if you guys happen to be running a swarm, the way he placed that three and three from that corner, it can be nice if you do place an obstacle in that particular spot. If 
it to help where you're going to engage. If you can engage, if you're a jousty list and you know that that's where you're kind of, you can kind of control the engagement a little bit. That's one of the things that I found to be useful is to try to set rocks strategically. So that way you have like different eight places where you can engage with the swarms where you can move around and still have some movement ability in a, kind of like your box formation or whatever formation you're flying in. That's what I found. Yep, no, absolutely. So if, um, go ahead, if I'm, if I'm playing in a swarm, I either do this or I try to put them closer together like this so that I have two as close to center. And I say that because what will happen is you, the probability that your opponent will let you do that is, is very low. But because when I'm flying out with my swarm, if I can be in the middle of the board and just rotate around my rock, which is what, which is what some droids can do, which seems kind of scummy, but it's not, it's not as bad as Torkoal mugs, but you can, um, it's not, you can just rotate around your rock. So if you're going to fight against that, right, you move your rocks, the larger ones farther away, because then if this leaves a bigger clearing, Matt's right. Technically, I have a bigger clearing to manipulate and move and barrel roll. The problem becomes is, here comes Bosk. Boo, 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 boo. I have to sit out here on the far sides now. If you're a small ship coming in here, I'm not looking at minimum of range two. I lose my range one bonus. Whereas if I force here, I have range one bonus. I don't know. Can we toggle that when it's not locked? I think we can. You know. I have somewhat of a range one bonus by landing on this rock anywhere around this area. So if I have two of them pretty close together, I'm now taking up a large chunk of that. So that forces them to fly around the outside no matter what, period. Yep. And if I'm flying large base like scum ships, um, something that... Ooh. There we go. There you go. If I'm flying larger base ships, something that I will do as well is I'll load this corner. I'll let my opponent place wherever and I'll take my next rock and I will put it as close to this one as I physically can. Let my opponent do something else and then I'll grab the next one and try and stick that as close as I can. Uh, right there looks good. Um, and then my opponent, you know, inevitably will place out here. And maybe one down in this corner as well. Uh, but that, that keeps this lane. Let me get my drawing tool here. My Madden Telestrator that keeps this lane and this area really open. So I'm able to turn, like for instance with Bosk, I can turn in and come up through this lane without too much worry of the rock or the debris. I can three hard around here. I can weave in and out and almost ace fly a large base ship. Uh, so there is that opportunity to be able to do that as well. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that you can place rocks. Some people um, have some OCDs about it, and so they like to end up with them placed out like this. So you get the, the one, two, and three, and that leaves this entire you know section of the board untouched, and... Generally, the engagement flies here unless someone wants to be dangerous and fly through the fields. Um, but again, asteroids are what keep the game from being the same every single time. 
because you can fly like Chris and I could play seven games and we could use the same list every single time and change up rocks, change up the placement of the rocks. If we're going to use gas clouds or debris, uh, we can change all of that. And those will change the way the game is played, how we fly our ships and where the engagement is. Uh, so rock placement is a very strategic part, but a lot of it is flavor and taste and how you feel your list needs to fly as well. Um, so I think that covers it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Okay. Our uh, also is too, ridiculous in Orlando. So allergies. I, uh, I also personally, I don't know about anybody else, but for me, I like to kind of, once everything is placed down, look at the rock placement, look at the ship placement, uh, yours, your opponents, and then kind of attempt to, uh, in your brain, see a path to your first engagement. I don't know if you guys do that, but that's uh, something I do try to do. Now, yep. another and... thing to think about with the rock placement, sorry, Chris, not to overspeak you, but you also want to keep in mind uh, where you are going to where you are going to place your rocks in reference to where you're going to place your ship. What I mean is, if I know that I would like Bosk to be placed here, then I want to try and keep this lane as open for rocks as possible. I don't want anything in there because I want to give Bosk that, that ability to go straight, and I want to give him the opportunity to have that lane. Now, inevitably... Uh, and almost all the time, my opponent will place the rock in that lane, and so I'll have to move my placement of Bosk. Uh, but that is kind of one of the benefits of placing ships after rocks, is you can adjust your ship placement uh, based on where the rocks wind out after everybody places everything. Yes. See, in, in, in my world, I don't... And maybe this is why I'm not super amazing at placing rocks, is because in my world, I don't do the... I don't think of the lane. I guess, right? I don't, I think of where would I like to be, but my bigger strength is, is where, is I always see is if you, wherever you place these, for me, okay, if it's a droid swarm, it's different, right? Because I need my bloody rocks. I have to have them because I, I want to know where I want to engage at. But when it comes down to talking about, um, you know, like I, I played Django Zan this weekend. Yes, I'm a scum, you know, scummy, scummy, scummy person for playing that list. But, um, you know, like I didn't care quite as much. I brought all debris fields and I didn't quite care as much because I manipulated where I placed my ships based on where they did. So when I had to fight Bosk and the guy set up here in this corner, I took my Django Fett and I know that's Anakin, but I took my Django Fett and my Zam and put them on the other side and I forced them to come get me so that I could run away as fast as I can and shoot them up my ass. Because to me, that's like, when you're playing Bosk with Django Zam, it's very, you have to be very careful because Bosk hits like a truck. And like Bosk actually came in here and he came through here <laughs> and he still killed me. Even with a bloody, there was a bloody debris field here. He still, he just flew through the debris field and kept going. You know, he was just like, screw you. I don't care. I'm going to come get your ship. So some ships, you got to understand their play style because they don't care sometimes about obstacles and sometimes they do, you know. Um, so my play style is just a little different. If I run a swarm, it matters where these go when I'm not running a swarm for me, it's more about how do I, how do I know my maneuvers work and where are they going to go? If I run like an FO swarm, it has to be really different because 
you, if you do this and you like Charles was, and you put all these over here, I cannot run an FO swarm through this. I have to run around the board. I do not get it. When I come through here, I'm breaking up my, um, you know, my swarm position. And that's the difference in my world. You know, like how I play that aspect versus that is, um, I, I don't think as much about the lanes where I want to place my ship. I think of where do I want to be when I want to engage somebody, because that's the bigger thing is how do you want to engage? Um, and like Charles said, the bigger the base, you have to be very careful when those big bases hit rocks. You're, you got a lot of, you're a little bit more out of luck than you are in the other ones. I mean, you know. yes, you have to be careful, but one thing that a big base has that allows them to not have to be careful is a lot of hull. They have a lot of hull, they have a lot of shields, they have a lot of ass to try and get through, so there are some players that just laugh at obstacles and will just roll on through them like they're not there. Um... Now, the other thing that you got to think about as well, and this is a one-off, not everybody runs them, um, but if if your opponent is running a, um, a seismic charge, where do you want to place that rock to be away from it? So that if your opponent's going to throw a seismic charge into that rock, can you avoid it? Can you stay away from it? Can you be, you know, that far away from it and still be able to comfortably engage um, there are a lot of options that you have for things that'll want you to stay close to rocks. Uh, Chris keeps talking about his droid swarm. They have the ability to land on the rocks. Uh, you look at pilots like, um, oh, what dash Rendar or the mining guild tie that don't care. They fly, they land, they barrel roll off. They fly through. They just don't care. There are ships that it doesn't matter what the obstacle is, they just go on through it. So fly a list that suits your strength, fly rocks that shoot that suit your list, or if you know what your opponent is playing, so for instance, if your opponent is a, it's a casual game, like Matt and I are going to play, and Matt's nice enough to send me his list ahead of time, maybe I pick my rocks to mess his list up. Maybe he's flying big bases, so I pick big rocks so that I can make sure that they're in the way of his big base ships. Uh, and mess with them a little bit. Who knows? But that is my two cents uh, on rock placement and squad placement at the beginning of the round. Awesome. Why don't we go ahead and get to our next segment? Let's get into the roll call. All right. And so for this segment, Matt, is going to bring up I don't know a few of the a few of the cards that he feels work really well with obstacle placement and things that are I don't know very known <laughs> um, staples inside of X-wing. Sure, uh, yeah. So one of the first things I want to hit is uh, basically is a uh, actual ship chassis that does give you the ability, and these is um, just. Basically, I'm going to go over some stuff that interacts with obstacles um, in that, that you can either put on a ship or, or ships that, that do it. There's quite a few different things. As obstacles are very important in the game, there's a lot of options uh, for this. So one of the first things I want to bring up is the Mining Guild TIE Fighter. So the Mining Guild TIE Fighter is a TIE Fighter just like any other TIE Fighter. Uh, Points-wise, the same pretty much as any other TIE Fighter as well. 
Uh, it does look kind of cool, which is nice. It's got those little modified little stabilizers in there, that front, t uh, the front uh, cutout, which is kind of fun that that uh, FFG at the time, now AMG, of course, uh, gave it a little bit of an extra bump uh, to give it a, a little bit of scum flavoring. Uh, and what it is, it's called notch stabilizers. And it says, while you move, you ignore asteroids. So you want to really carefully look at this and what it's saying. So basically, while you move the ship, you ignore asteroids. Don't ignore debris. You don't ignore gas clouds. You ignore uh, just the asteroids. So it allows you to go through the asteroids, uh, perform actions. Don't have to worry about uh, any of the any of the other effects of that asteroid, which is great. Uh, but you do have to worry if you land on it. I believe is that correct for those who uh, do. Do follow. I'm pretty sure Charles knows the answer to this. What's that? If you land on an obstacle with the uh, mining guild tie, you still have to suffer the effects, correct? No, just like Dengar, they ignore rocks for the purposes of movement. So if they land on it, they can still barrel roll off of it. They can still do everything that they need to do. If they're sitting on it, they can't shoot. But if you happen to do that one hard turn that you thought could clear and it doesn't and you land right on that rock, you can then take your action to barrel roll yourself off the rock without any ill effect. There you go. So there's the answer, the, the extra, extra veteran answer for that one. But basically, uh, do keep in mind that is asteroids only. I made that mistake when I was a young player myself. All right, next thing I want to bring up is Trickshot. Trickshot's a pretty handy talent card. Trickshot allows you to roll an extra dice while performing an attack that's obstructed. Uh, so basically, an obstructed shot is anything that is obstructed by an obstacle. So we kind of just discussed it, but a, a shot that basically goes through the obstacle normally gives uh, just the defensive person an extra dice, well, now it actually gives the offensive person an extra dice, which is phenomenal. Uh, great for a few other ones, especially for the next one I'm going to talk about, which is Rebel Han. Rebel Han and Trickshot are almost like constantly attached to one another. So Rebel Han uh, is in the YT-1300, so the Millennium Falcon, obviously. Uh, and what his ability to do is it allows you to, after you roll dice, any dice, and you're at range 0 to 1 of any type of obstacle, you may re-roll all of your dice. You know, it must be all of your dice. Uh, and then uh, it does allow you to have that extra dice if it happens to be uh, obstructed, of course. So, really cool. Uh, it doesn't count as the extra uh, re-roll, which is really great. So you can use uh, Rebel Han. And actually, you know, I mean, now that that's being said, Scum Han also does. So I'll actually really quickly read that one, too. Um, this, so I'm kind of giving my TTT team a workout <laughs> for the Scum Faction, Scum Han. It does, uh, while you defend or perform a primary attack, if the attack is obstructed by an obstacle, you may roll an additional dice. So uh, it does give the Scum Falcon a little bit more teeth. The one thing about the Scum Falcon is it does only roll two dice. 
So this does give it a little bit more of an ability to kind of to bump it out. So uh, if you're rolling, if you're running with uh, Han Solo or running against Han Solo, make sure to keep in mind where those obstacles are. Uh, so the next thing I'm going to talk about is uh, one of the crew members, Kira. Kira is often attached to uh, Scum Han, uh, so much so that there's actually a whole rules section for Kira. So that it, when you are running uh, Kira on Scum Han, make sure to look it up. There's there's a whole rule section on it. Uh, I, I to go over the interaction would kind of be a little confusing. So and it's confusing anyways. So do look into it. There are, are tutorials and stuff out there about it. But basically, while you move and perform attacks, you can ignore obstacles that you are locking. So she allows you to lock any type of obstacle that's you know debris whatever whatever it may happen to be you lock it and then that debris doesn't exist uh for any ill effects that happen so you can land on it you can uh, perform attacks uh, it doesn't matter what it is if that obstacle is locked by kira you can treat it as it doesn't exist for any of the ill effects but then any of the advantage effects uh, for your side, you can always count as there. Anyways, again, if you're going to run Kira on um, Scon, oh, wow, Scum Han, <laughs> you can uh, check out the interactions there and kind of be a little bit clearer. It doesn't hurt to kind of clarify it with your opponent too ahead of time so that way everybody's clear on how everything works. I always say that too. If you happen to have a pretty tricky situation, uh, be the good the good guy and kind of be like, hey, this is the way this interacts. Just so you know, we looked it up. That's how that's how they want you to run that. So, and I could I could tell you, just from experience, and, and this this we'll talk about Lemu later today. But I had some interactions because I had never flown against Bosk in some of those crazy interactions. I had it stop. I stopped the guy. I was like, okay, can we talk through this for a second? Because I need to understand why you can all of a sudden do this, but you wait till this, because this breaks the normal rules. And of course it's scum, it's scum stuff. So that's why, because scum can't actually be a faction without breaking the rules, um, ever. So they, um, you know, so anyways, the the guy was very nice and actually said, you know, we talked through some of the interactions for like three minutes. We didn't, he didn't even pause the timer. That's, that's how confident he was he was going to win. <laughs> he didn't pause the timer, but he um he did win. With 22 minutes to spare, I got I got an extra break that game. But um anyway, so he did go through the interactions and then he said, "Well, here is the rule." And he actually had the rules reference uh, must been up on another screen. I mean, he told me the rules reference. It was just really it was really nice of him to do that and it made me feel better cuz I didn't I could have called the judge and we could have waited and done all these things, but it was nice that he just went through that. So it never hurts to ask whether you're in a tournament or not to just say, Hey, and usually if people are like, well, I don't want to talk about it. Let's keep playing. They're probably hiding something, you know, like Matt and I have a very good rapport where one of us will get angry at the other one. And we'll be like, that's bullshit. There's no way that works. Okay. Pause the timer. And we Google it on our phones and we go, all right, one of us is right. Or in the case, sometimes both of us are wrong. <laughs> and then, and then, then we have to backtrack that whole churn. Um, but most people will be gracious enough to have that conversation with you. And just those interactions there too, which the way Chris talks about it, it's definitely important to know that that is kind of what spurs me to personally check my interactions ahead of time. 
So that way I know what my interactions are. So that way I can explain it. And then, like he said, if you happen to have the rules reference or anything like that, know your list. I'm not saying you can always know your list perfectly, but if you can know your list, do know your list. And if you know your rules, do know your rules and be able to point it out. Obviously, sometimes, especially if you get blindsided by a rule or there's something like that, that can be a negative play experience like we've talked about before. This is a good way of trying to clear that up uh, and then do understand that sometimes, especially if you're flying scum and you do like half break the game, like Chris says, uh, you can at least, you know, explain it and, and do understand that that's going to possibly cause your opponent to be a little upset. So be extra patient and obviously playing against that. Try to be patient on the other side, too. But we all know how that happens sometimes. So there we go. Uh, one more talent I wanted to discuss was the Debris Gambit uh, tonight. Uh, this is kind of neat. It's uh, for small and medium ships only. It adds a red evade action. So if you don't happen to have an evade, you can add that evade action, which is nice. Uh, it, allows, it says, while you perform a red evade action, if there is an obstacle at range 0 to 1, you can treat the action as white instead. So it's a very good uh, thing. Yep. Right, and there's also, yep, so thank you for um, uh, system phase and chat, too. It uh, never hurts to call a judge, too. If you happen to have somebody around, if you're playing with your buddy, obviously there's no judge around. But if you are playing in a tournament, uh, it, when in doubt, do call a judge, especially if you really, uh, like, if, if your opponent just says, yeah, that's how that interaction is, and that's just that, and they're not willing to talk it out with you. Definitely Howard a judge, because especially some of this stuff can be very, very confusing. Like, I, I played for, you know, a, a year, and I know that there's a special interaction between Kira and Scum Han, but I could not tell you what that interaction is right here, right now. I literally have to read it so I know exactly what it is. Um, so, yeah, it, it, so many rules, and especially with the as, as deep a game as this one is, uh, that is why uh, we were trying to do this roll call. That's one of the reasons why we're doing this. So I think that that's enough things for people to think about tonight. So that's your roll call for this evening, unless anybody had any questions. I think that I agree with uh, system phase, and I can say that in my tournament career, I've had more regret over the times that I didn't call a judge. Uh, that I've had regret over the times that I did call a judge. Uh, that's what the judge is there for. Most of them are lovers of the game. Uh, they love the the intricacies and the way the cards play. Um, so give them something to do. Um, make sure that you are aware of how everything works so that you can have fun and have a fair game. And also sometimes, too, um, and, and I know that we're kind of like jacking into... Uh, Checking into the tournament play, which we don't do tons of, but the point is, is if um, if you are playing in a tournament, uh, it never hurts to take a decision out of everybody's hands, right? It, especially like, yeah, let's say you you feel bad about being able to make a shot. You're relatively sure it's in, but you know you really want to say, oh, it's not in because your opponent's down a ship and a half, and you're like, oh, he's gonna you know be crushed if I can make this shot. Take it out of your own hands too. Because who knows, maybe they're going to have a six-dice swing uh, in the next round, take out two of your ships, and you lose the game. And you're like, boy, if I'd have just you know, not gave him that call, then uh, maybe I would have won this game. So, again, take it out of your own hands. Uh, call a judge. Yep, absolutely. 
All right. Well, with that being said, let's move on to our system malfunction real quick. All right. Welcome back to our system malfunction. <laughs> um, so tonight for system malfunction, and the reason we separate that from roll call a little bit is because our goal is, is to bring up weird cards that could or could not interact. Tonight, I'll be honest, I chose more obstacle-type things, um, but I chose cards I prefer to run, things I, I want to actually put into the play, um, and maybe in our Rebel Academy, Charles will put a few of these in there. Who knows? Um, we'll see. <clears throat> and um, But I, I have a few cards that I've never used that I think would be perfect if you want to go for how do I maximize my obstacle aggression? Um, when playing. So the first one is the Teflon belly rub um, that you put Teflon all over that pork. Belly run. <laughs> rub. And it's it's not Teflon either because you don't want any of that on your food. But no. <laughs> essentially this upgrade is only for Y-Wings. You can perform special attacks even at range zero of asteroids. While you defend, if you are range zero of an obstacle, Attack die can not be re-rolled. So it has a disadvantage, right? It gives you it gives you the ability to fly a Y-ring right onto a rock. Right onto a rock. You just go, screw you, I'm going to land on a rock. The difference is you can't re-roll your dice. <laughs> so whatever your two dice attack is, that's what it is. Now, the only thing I don't know about, and maybe we could get some clarification in the future, is I'm guessing that affects your any sort of uh, missile, turret, any type of dice. There is zero re-rolling. Now, the thing I need clear... It's only special attacks. Yep, there you go. Yeah, special attacks only. Ordnance yep. or special weapons. Yes. So, while you're doing that, because of that, the question becomes is, there is characters or other cards that allow that force another player to re-roll their dice. Hence, uh, L3... Let me bring it up. Uh, I think it's L37. That's who it is, right? L337. Yep, because that's that's the crew card. Let me find it. Yep, there's a crew card that allows you, while you defend, you may flip this card, and the attacker must remole all the dice. So this is where I'd want a clarification, because I'm pretty sure this card cannot affect dice that are rolled on this by this card. So if I that's roll correct. out a pro... Dice cannot be re-rolled. So anything yeah. that forces a re-roll is negated by this, I believe. Yeah. So on a positive note, you if you ever ran into a list like that, the, the probability of this is so low, it's not even funny. Unless you decide that Teflon belly rubs are like the best thing in the world. I like a belly rub too. I don't won't won't lie. Um, but uh, you know, that's that's kind of the thing is like there's a couple of cards that could affect this. Call a judge or whatever you gotta do. But I, I I'm I would wager right then and there that, that that's not a possibility that that's ever going to come up um while you're playing. Another one is Q7, and it's an astromech. Now, this astromech is only able to be ran in Republic, but this astromech tells you while you barrel roll or boost, you can move through and overlap obstacles. Now, that's pretty good to some extent if you can get an astromech because if you think about this, if you are an ace and people see that, right, you can all of a sudden turn around and say, uh, I'm going to come in here and for my action, I'm going to barrel roll out past this obstacle and force you 
to take the or give me the extra green dice when attacking. So as we talked about at the beginning, if you're shooting through an obstacle, the player gets another dice. Uh, if it's a gas cloud, there you go. Um, it's even more. But being able to move through those without having taking consequences is just that's crazy. And this is a very unknown astromech that you can't that nobody runs in Republic. I've never seen anybody run this astromech. And I could be wrong. With the um, the Delta Seven Aether sprites and their um, their uh, Jedi reposition, I don't remember. Is it fine tuned controls or something like that? Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. They, because, that, this allows them to actually reposition because so normally they wouldn't be able to barrel roll it to like let's say through the the gas cloud to like the right. Let's say they, they land on the left side of a gas cloud. They couldn't barrel roll right hand side of the gas cloud because. Uh, they don't have that that Q7, but if they do, they could actually barrel roll through that obstacle onto the other side of the obstacle. Yeah, in that astromech, you want to know how much money that astromech is? One point would be my guess. It's four. It's not one. It's four. But if it was one point, that'd be insane. Well, that would be a, a permanent staple. Now, I've never put this... I'll be honest. I've never put this... But I would actually run a li- I would run a, f- a Jedi list because you could run three of these Jedi's with Delta Seven Bs and this Astromech, and then you could still fit an ETA. Um, I believe you could fit an ETA still in there. I'm pretty sure you could fit a, a lower tier ETA in there with them. So it's essentially similar to other meta type lists. But the nice thing about this, that whole thing, right, would be the fact that you would be able to run those and barrel roll through gas clouds and not worry about it. So I don't know. Maybe you can't. It's interesting. Add- you have to, of course, forego regen and stuff like that. But it definitely gives you the abilities to to move around a little bit more. It's, it's a cool card. Neat interactions with those Jedis. Yeah. And then the last weird unknown card um that a lot of people i believe it's called mag is it mag mark stable closure mark m-a-r-g marg marg i always call it mark mark sable closure and that is a neat little card that you can run on small or medium based ships right and um yeah, let me make it bigger a minute. Maybe make it bigger. Can I make it bigger? I guess it doesn't want to get any bigger. Oh, well. So essentially what that does is that allows you to, um, after you fully execute a maneuver, if you move through an obstacle structure or huge ship, or if you deployed, you may choose one enemy ship in your at your range one to two and that ship gains one stress or strain token which the strain token then affects how many green dice you roll when defending for the first shot so the reason i think this is actually i actually think this is a pretty decent card though again a lot of them there are there's not a lot of play for it is because it allows you to move through some of these. So if you can take a Y wing or you can take, um, I don't know, uh, an A wing and move through something. Yeah. Maybe you lose your action, but your action is essentially giving that strain out. Um, 
because it's a talent, it would have to be something. So I think, and I could be wrong, but yep, I think you can run them on the mining guild ties. And it is one point. Correct. Mm-hmm. And I I believe there was a mining guild tie list that did attempt to do this. A hundred percent not positive, but I believe you can run a mining guild surveyor tie with mag um the the marg whatever you however you say that the closures Mark, Mark, Mark for twenty four points. Twenty four yeah, points. Not bad. I also heard a lot about it on resistance ailings. Yep. Yes, I've used I've actually used them on resistance aliens, though they have not helped me very much. <laughs> not as much as the um, starboard slash has, but that's more expensive. All right. Well, with that being said, those are some of the some of the weird cards that you're going to find that relate to obstacles that are kind of I, I feel I feel those are a very fun a very, very fun way to play the game. So, all right. With that being said, why don't we move on to our Rebel Hangar segment? In this segment, Charles is going to take us, and let's move back to this scene. Charles is going to actually take us through uh, building some sort of a scum list. Right, Charles? Yep. And in honor of uh, oh, Captain, my Captain, Marcel Manzano, uh, we are going to start with, um, I think we'll start with a Bosque for this list. Um, it's a ship that I generally overlook unless I'm playing what I call fun lists. Um, I don't really think that it's ever been uh, a meta staple except in the 1.0 party bus days. Um, but I have been proven wrong, uh, just like the last tournament proved me wrong with Scumhan. Uh, anything can work if it's flown by the right pilot. So, starting out with the YV-666, uh, light freighter. Uh, this is a large base ship. Uh, it has a full 180-degree front arc, uh, with three red dice, one green dice, nine hull, and three shields. A pretty deep ship. Uh, with Bosk as his pilot, and then just take a second to break this down here because I know Chris said that he had some issues with it during the tournament. When you throw your dice, after you modify your dice, after your opponent modifies their dice, if it's through, Bosk then has the ability to cancel that crit and add two hit results after all the dice are rolled. So after everything is uh, factored, after everything is calculated, you can basically make your, for all intents and purposes, it makes every single crit you push through a direct hit because that crit essentially goes face down uh, and then you add one more hit to it. So it's a consistent damage pusher. We saw a lot of three and four dice rolls that wound up with... uh, and that'll be the first card I put on it, which is Greedo, uh, the Greedo Gutter. Uh, Greedo gives you a guaranteed crit. So if you're lucky enough to roll one naturally uh, and you roll a secondary hit, uh, Greedo allows you to change that hit into a crit. So you now have two crits, which increases the odds of one of them getting through. Um, I would like to see, and I think this card is what's kind of pushed the YV666 into uh, into a lot of playability. 
uh, in the crew slot, uh, Gamut Key. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Gamut Key uh, will allow you at the end phase uh, to spend two charges. And if you do spend those two charges, any ship at range 01, or excuse me, not any, a ship at range 01, uh, with one or more circular tokens, uh, can be chosen to not remove the circular tokens at the end of that round. Uh, the reason this is beneficial uh, to Bosk is he can choose a reinforce, uh, which means that every other round, Gamut Key allows that reinforce to not be removed, uh, which then frees you up to take a focus for offensive output. Uh, it makes the YV666 a little harder to take off the board uh, and a little more difficult to hit. Um, I so think hold, the... hold on. Yo, what yo. I want to do is, why don't we bring up... Can I bring that back up? Maybe I can. What's that, TTS? Yeah, I think I still have that open. Yeah, okay, so there you go. So I don't have the dial, so I can't give you just a range one bu bubble. But see this arc right here? That's his range one for any ship. So think of that. Your ship can be that far apart and still be considered all the way around. So you, you have that big a circumference because you have a big butt. You have a big butt. If you're out right. here, you can. But all you got to do is be just nubs deep. I, I don't think you'd ever be that way with your Jedi. But there you go. That's okay. how much range that range one has. Anyways. Go back. Now, the benefit here, though, with Gamut Key is he can be used offensively or defensively. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you put a jam token on someone or a tractor beam token or a disarm token, you can use Gamut Key to force them to keep that token through the end of the round as well. So it can be used offensively uh, as well as to increase your defense as well. Uh, so it can be used both sides. Um, so but let's see, we've got Gamut Key, we've got Greedo. Um, you know you're going to put Zam on there. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with Zam on here. Uh, obviously, this weekend has proved uh, that it's really good. Yeah. But for me, only the forward arc is kind of limiting to Zam. I like having him on the fire spray because you have that front-back arc and you get that. You still get the 180 degrees, but it's 180 degrees front back. Um, but yeah, I do think that Zam belongs on that list, or at least on that ship. Uh, I know Marcel ran Contraband. Um, I'm not sure that I'm sold on Contraband being on it right now. So for me, I would take Contraband off. Um, Cutthroat is nice to replace the Contraband charge. Um, but if you're not running Contraband, you can keep Cutthroat off and... To be honest with you, I might even put uh, I might even put marksmanship. Uh, marksmanship is that if they are in your bullseye arc, uh, they can trigger and take a. Uh, uh, you can change another hit to a crit. So with the right dice roll and the right mods, uh, you could potentially between Greedo, marksmanship, and a natural crit roll wind up with three crits. Uh, for that round nice. or even three crits in one hit depending on how that rolls out uh, again hits are canceled before crits so the more crits you have the more likely you are to push one through 
Uh, so I really enjoy that. I think that that's a pretty solid 75-point ship. Uh, oh, sorry, and hull upgrade. Hull upgrade. Now, can I uh, ask, any... is there a reason you wouldn't put auto blasters on? Uh, auto blasters... So here's the thing. Auto blasters only converts the auto crit and forces crits to not be blocked if you are behind a ship. Um, because the ship isn't exactly the most maneuverable ship in the world, uh, the odds that you will find yourself consistently behind a ship instead of jousting um, is relatively light. Um, so for me personally, I don't think auto blasters is a good fit. That normally belongs on a ship that's a little more maneuverable, if you want my honest opinion. Um, for my for my next, since we are building something just for fun here, uh, something that I saw this weekend that I thought was really, really fun. It's a ship that I love that doesn't get a lot of love. Um, but with this pilot, it sees a lot, and that is Tarani Kolda uh, in the Kimagila fighter. Uh, so with Tarani, Tarani has the ability that uh, when you perform an attack, uh, each enemy ship in your uh, your bullseye arc uh, takes one damage unless it removes a green token. Um, and then Dead to Rights allows you that uh, defense dice cannot be modified using green tokens. So any ships that are in your bullseye arc uh, while you're performing an attack can also not use a green token should they choose to keep that green token uh, to modify their defense dice. Uh, for those of you watching the stream, I apologize. I'm having a very serious allergy attack, and I'm not sure why. So when that Benadryl takes effect, I will be back to my normal uh, self. Uh, that being said, um, the way this was run this weekend, I really like the way it was built out. So for the Astromech, we use uh, R5TK, uh, which allows you to perform attacks against friendly ships. Uh, in the missile slot, you're going to put cluster missiles um for your modification you are going to use munitions fail safe and i think that's a pretty solid 53 point ship uh now you're asking yourself why do you want the ability to target friendly ships um well first and foremost there's a lot of different interactions here uh you could use cluster missiles to target bosk uh, then using your munitions failsafe, causing Zam Wessel to trigger. Uh, so you can spend your first couple of turns actually charging your own Zam Wessel so that by the time you get to the engagement phase, uh, instead of having to wait for your opponent to attack you for two rounds to get your bonus attack, uh, it's already charged. Um, the other there's, benefit there's here for you. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> uh, the other the other thing that gets really wonky here is, uh, cluster missiles allow you to shoot out to range two. So if I were to have, say, Bosk at range two of Tarani Kolda and shoot at Bosk with my first cluster missile using munitions failsafe to cancel the die, the second charge of cluster missile can be shot at a ship that is at range zero to one of my original target, ignoring the target lock requirement. So I can then choose to fire one off at an opposing ship 
that I don't have a target lock on and get that second attack. Uh, if you aim it right, that can actually trigger Tarani Kolda's ability twice in a round. Um, system phase in the chat will know last night. Uh, I did play a game against him. Uh, I lost, ultimately. Um, but I was lucky enough he was flying a lat and three Jedi, uh, three uh, Ada, Je or was it three Ada? Yeah, it was three Ada Jedi uh, generals in their, uh, their small ship. Uh, I was able to line up that bullseye arc to catch both the lat uh, as well as two Ada. Uh, and through two attacks, I was able to push two damage through on each Ada and strip the green token and put one damage through on the lat without actually firing a shot at him. I was able to fire two shots at, uh, at Bosk and charge Zam fully and deal five damage to my opposing team squad without actually firing a shot at them. Uh, so when you line them up and it works absolutely the way you want it to, uh, that works out really, really well for you. I think to um, remember, too, about those cluster missiles that, that maybe wasn't clear, too. Each ship has to be within that one to two range. E even if you use it to trigger off of uh, off of Bosk, you still have to have the second ship you take a shot at be within range one to two in that firing arc of the ship in order to fire a cluster missile at him. Absolutely correct. Um, Even so if that's I'm broken gonna, as well. So yeah. You... So I'm going to put this one out to you guys. Because I'm torn at what needs to go in this other slot. Do we go for a Hawk with Caden uh, Jarrus? Or do we go for a Jumpmaster with Dengar? What do you guys think? Torkoal Mox on the... On the uh, <laughs> There is. You could put Torkoal Mux on, Matt, and you could run this against him. I'm I'm sure as heck not going to run against Torkoal Mux. So there you go. Unless it's in a tournament, that's I don't it. Think anybody's running it. This is this is this is uh, this is just Rebel Academy. We're trying to get a strong list together. So I don't know. Let me post two things. I want to see if they fit a minute because I got we got 72 points. Absolutely, um, a lot of points. Not autopilot drone. That's funny. I did just buy this. So you got Lando. And then and this uh, this is this may not be surprising to you Charles just cuz you run um crazy lists like this all the time. Okay, come on. Come on, <laughs> shit. Come up. Thank you. Uh let's see here. Where's my Fang Fighter? Where did it go? Probably in the Fs. Yep. I don't know. I don't think we can fit it. You know what there is room for? I'm curious if what your thoughts are on this, guys. So you can run any Quadrajet Space Tug with Protectorate Gleb and a, and a Naked Skull Squadron. You could. But oh, that... sorry. Zealous, zealous Recruit, rather. So this weekend, Joy Rekoff is a menace to deal with. Yeah, she Cause... she wrecked a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Now, this may not work as well, but at minimum, right, you have Joy Rekoff with ion torpedoes, right? And she, the what she says is when you perform an attack, you may spend one energy from one of your munitions to roll, to force the opponent to roll one fewer defense die. 
So that makes your Tarani and your boss hit harder. Lando gives you that coordinate function, right? You could probably pick a cheaper one, maybe. I don't know. Um, the only there's thing still off too many points, so it doesn't fit. Ions. It's just that we have 21 points left, and that's that. That's that no man's land of of ability to add ships that I hate. Yeah. So so this probably does not work. But the idea would be is that Joy could come in, either use the torpedoes to ionize, or on top of that, use um, her ability to make Tarani and Bosca's attack more effective. The problem is, is yet, like Matt said, once you remove the escape craft for your coordinate, yeah, you have 21 points. It's not, it's, it's silly. You'd have to strip something else. And at this point, there's not enough points really to strip out of Bosk. So, yeah, not really. So I think that I'm going to scum it up, though. If I'm being honest, I think that I want to go Kanan. Yeah, there you go. Kanan's a good choice. Kanan Jarrus with Protector and Gleb. Uh, in the Hawk. Moldy Crow. Yep, always. As well. Yeah. 16 points or not, that needs to be on that ship no matter what. Alright, so Kanan Jarrus allows you to, while you or a ship in your mobile arc defends, you may spend one of your force. If you do, the attacker rolls one fewer attack dice. That's right. Sorry. Uh, and you can ask Chris just how effective that can be. Yeah, it's actually extremely effective. <laughs> Especially because when you're picking, when you only have a two-ship list and somebody runs that, you're forcing you, you you're you're using your force for that every time. There's zero reason you would ever use your force for anything else. You don't need it to modify your attacks. Your Kanan is not an attack ship. He, he's just not. Now, oh. here's your bigger issue, Charles. Is you're you have a twelve point bid right now? Like, oh, I'm not done yet. Trust me, I'm not okay. done yet. Uh, throw thermals on him. Yep. And hull upgrade just to make him stick around a little bit longer. That leaves me with four points. Um, and either on him or on Bosk, I don't care where we put it, I want inertial dampeners. It's a card right. that we don't see played very often, but with Bosk, Bosk has the ability to zero stop, right, for a red maneuver. With inertial dampeners... You get, before you would execute a maneuver, you can spend a shield. If you do, you execute a white stop instead and gain a stress token. Why wouldn't so, you do eliminate marksmanship then? If you put it on, it uh, doesn't matter which one you put it on. Uh, eliminate the marksmanship off of Bar Bosk uh, and you can add a shield upgrade instead of a hole upgrade. And you give yourself one more shield. Yeah, I, I mean, to be fair, you've got three to deal with. And with hull upgrade, you've got ten hull to try and chew through. That's pretty strong for me. Um, again, it's it's a one-off thing, but if I'm building for fun, I like to have a little bit of flavor that makes it different than what somebody else would do. Uh, throwing inertial dampeners gives me that capability, potentially. Um, and who knows? Maybe you never use it. But maybe you do. You don't know. Then. If I were going to put it on any of them, I'd put it on the yep. party. But... 
Put it on the well. So the thing is, is it's three points on Kane and Jarus, and it's four points on Bosk. Uh, it would work the same with either ship. So, do you want to keep Kanan in position to be able to use his his dice modification more, or do you want to put Bosk in a position to maintain his shots? Uh, which do you guys feel is more important? Bosk, hundred percent Bosk. It's not even a question. I, I get your point with Kane and Jarris, but the problem is, is because Bosk is a large and Kane's a small. What you run into is the fact that Kanan would stop and Bosk would go woof, or he's going to run into him, and it's. I, 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 if it were me, Bos, or Kanan cannot move worth a poop when it comes to speed, and Bosk actually can. Like, Bosk is really, like, that YV666, which is my favorite number, is insanely maneuverable for a big base. Like, like, I really, like, how about this? I had two lists built this weekend with, with, um, YV666s. And that crazy weird Death Star list that you guys built me that has Moral Eval. I'm actually yep. more excited to kind of run that now just because I actually kind of genuinely like the maneuverability that that ship has. And you get two green dice. There's all sorts of things that, that are benefits to this that you don't get um, with other large base ships or in other factions. You just don't get that. So, like, the reality of um, if I want to stop with somebody, I prefer to do it with Bosk. Now, Charles, I, I ask, I, I do have to ask a question though, because if you're yeah. going to execute it and get a stress token, it, I, I miss, and, and maybe this is just me, but I miss kind of the thing because boss could just do a zero stop. Is the only reason you would put this on here is if you have to change up what you want based on what the other ships ran? Is that why you would do that? Because I can just dial in a zero stop and I'm going to get a stress token. Right. No, absolutely. And I don't disagree that he has a red stop. But the thing is, is if I do a red stop, the next turn I can dial in whatever blue maneuver I want. Watch where everybody goes, watch what everything looks like. And then if I want, I do a white stop that gives me a stress. So I could stop two consecutive turns. Because it's a white stop. It doesn't trigger the game ability that forces you to not do a red maneuver okay. while you're stressed. So because it specifies that it's a white zero stop, you can do it after already doing one. So you can hold Bosk in position. If you've got like a prime shot and you know nobody's getting out of your arc, you can hold Bosk in that position for two consecutive turns and be able to take those shots if you wanted to. See, and, okay, and I agree with that. And I guess in my world, and this is just me, but like in my would see this card should change to not have to take the stress. And maybe that makes it too broken, but I don't know. Like you're giving up a shield, you're giving up a shield. And I guess you get to stay in place for two turns, which is beneficial for boss because he has a 180 degree. He can shoot all around himself. So I, I don't know. I, I see the point in it. I guess I can see your point. I just think some of me thinks is maybe they should make that a one point, you know, one point here. I'm giving scum more shit because I think you could almost make that one point and leave the stress on there or make it four points and take that stress off there. That's just me, because if you are already stressed, right, then you can't take an action anyway. This now makes you have to do two things to get rid of stress that you didn't have to do before. I, I don't know. Sure. I think I, th I think this card should be better personally. 
That's just my opinion. But I see what you're saying now with it. I mean, at one point, oh, it didn't require the it didn't require the shield. It was just okay. you could perform a, a zero stop at the cost of get a white zero stop, and you still took the stress for it. So you could chain it back and forth if you wanted to. Hey, Jackie. Um, and then you could, you know what I mean? You could use it that way. Um, in this, it kind of makes it a little more punishing. So you're not just finding ways to, because in theory, right, we could change gamut key off of Bosk, right? So let's, we could put this into, into, into a, a further conjecture here. You can change gamut key and protectorate Gleb. So then you could zero stop, take your stress. Protectorate Gleb allows you to, uh, well, no, I guess you couldn't coordinate for the no. stress. Nope, you couldn't do any of that. You could do... Oh, no, you're uh, right. Never mind. That didn't work the way I thought. I thought Gleb was uh, charges, so you could spend the charges to no. do the coordinate anyway. So but here's the deal. Here, here's the difference, though. So you still can't coordinate. You could. So if we switch these, and I don't, I'm not going to disagree with you actually on switching them because if if the zero stop and the internal dampeners on Bosk, Kanan Jarrus, then who's moving first, has gamut key right, and he can tell them once every two turns, you're going to keep your token. So the first time you do the zero stop, you're going to be able to keep that token for that next round. So I, I don't know. Like I, I don't, you could do it both ways. I see the point of having gamut key on Bosk. Gamut key is better on Bosk just because it's a bigger base. That's why that, yep. that's the only advantage. Sure. But I see if you did want to be a little bit, even more scummy, you could put gamut, gamut key on, on Kanan and force, you know, boss to keep whatever token he had for that second turn. You, you could do that. I don't know. I've I've like inertial dampeners. I used to run it a lot, especially on the YV triple six because, um, it's weird, but it's kind of like a bomb. People forget that it's there until they plan that you've already done a zero stop, and so, hey, Matt just got a lot better looking. Anyway, um, you do a zero stop, and then they're like, okay, well, you've already done the red maneuver, so now you're going to have to do a blue maneuver, which is either going to be a bank or a straight. Or you're going to have to do a hard turn uh, in order to, you know, to, to shed the stress. Uh, so they plan for you to be able to move and they plan for where they think you're going to move. And then all of a sudden you pop the card they forgot you had. Uh, and instead of moving, uh, you stay put for one more round and it messes up all of their planning because now maybe they're bumping into you where they thought you weren't going to be there. I could then make the argument. I could then make the argument that you could just it, use contraband cybernetics. <laughs> That's all. You could. How many points is contraband? Three. You, you do. So you get the you get the same effect. But it's only one round. That's the difference. Yeah, if I, if, tell the you, thing was if I were to switch to contraband, then I would take marksman off and I would put uh I would put cutthroat back on, which is gonna be four points either way. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, because Cutthroat's only one point. Right, so if... And Contraband's if only three. 
Yeah, contraband is three. Cutthroat is one. That's four points. Or inertial dampeners is four points. Yeah, but you had you had inertial dampeners and marksmanship, which is five points. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Disregard. So, per I, I okay, I actually see why you would put cutthroat back on here, but honestly, but. At the exact same time, I would leave Cutthroat off. I personally don't like Cutthroat. Actually, the more we play, the more I don't like Cutthroat. In in three or four ship lists, I like it better in um in swarms. In oh, like in three A swarms. I love it in N three A swarms. You could run Bosk in an N three A swarm or mini swarm. And I would enjoy that a lot more just because you're they're gonna pop and then you're constantly replenishing whatever charge you have. Um, which by the way you can replenish the same charges just so you know. So like, oh, it's, yeah. it's like, like cutthroat, cutthroat is really good. If you run a swarmish thing where you're willing to sacrifice your ships, you and I both know, we don't want to sacrifice either of those ships. We really don't. If we can help, you're it. not wrong. You're not wrong. That's why I don't um, like cutthroat on small, on, on smaller lists. But I think for the purposes of my list, I want marksmanship in the talent slot, and I want inertial dampeners on Bosk just for the fun of it. But that's me personally. And that's fine. It's your list. You have fun with it. Yep. And, and that's, when I win. That's, and when you win. With my um, CS that's, list. That's, that's what I would run. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, uh, and Can again, we do a Charles, real quick rundown on that, guys? Let's, what was that list? Sure. sure. So we oh. have Bosk in the YV666. Um, with marksmanship, protector, gleb, false, not Gamut false key. transponder codes. Gamut key. Wait, wait, you're going to change it back now? Now you're going to change your tune on us? Come on, man. Yeah, I want gamut key on Bosk and gleb on... You're making my job hard. Hated. I don't get paid for this. Not yet. Paid. None of us get paid for this, crazy man. I'm just saying. Anyway, so then you have gamut key, greedo... Internal dampeners, hull upgrade, all on Bosk. You then have Keenan Jarrus with, um, I guess, Gamut Key 2. No, you had Keenan Jarrus with Protector Gleb. Thermal Detonators. Moldy Crow, which is almost a must for the most part. And hull upgrade. And then you have Tarani Kolda with Cluster Missiles, R5TK. And munitions fail safe. And you come in at a wonderful, amazing 200 flat. Good choice. Good ship. Good, good team, I think. All right. For the last segment tonight, um, and, and we won't spend too long because we've already been at this for a while. We've already been at this for an hour and 20 minutes. But um, I wanted to kind of go through, you know, so we we... We talk a lot about how we're uh, as a beginner podcast and these things, but I think sometimes it's good to update people on these are what we've been doing. Right. And as beginners, we're still playing in some of these tournaments. Right. And I could tell you uh, my story is I came from a, a, a game called star Wars destiny, uh, which is an amazing card and dice game. If you don't have it, you should have a hundred percent bought into it. Um, it is now defunct because FFG really sucks. And actually the best part about X-Wing is that it has moved away from FFG. I am so excited for this. And I know, and I don't want to offend any long-term FFG friends. And I get it. They did a good job. 
the company itself was awful. The actual company, the company that made the decisions makes very poor business choices for games. With that being said, Star Wars Destiny was like the top five selling card game in the world for years. They they hit top charts and they canceled the game because they didn't make enough money on it. And that's where capitalism is kind of sucks sometimes for some of us fans. Whereas now we're playing X-Wing Miniatures and FFG has had that taken away. We now have a studio called AMG or Atomic Mass Games that's actually doing like they do miniatures. They've been very successful. And the best part about them, and this is why I'm excited because for our podcast as a beginner and, and casual play podcast is they actually do a lot of casual play stuff for their original Marvel uh, Crisis Protocol game. It's a casual. It's more of a casual game than competitive. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the competitive side. I got into Star Wars Destiny and love the competitive side of it. I played in multiple tournaments for the year and a half I played and loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Thought it was one of the best things ever. I love playing in these championships and, and playing um, competitively in X-Wing. But the best part about AMG is they create all these little things and there's new things that come out where it supports non-competitive play where they want to help you create a story, help you create a narrative. And GSP actually just talked about this. So I won't go too far into like detail about it, but GSP actually like talked about what would you want to see different? And the answer to that question for me is that I would like more casual, more story-driven things. Like that's what I would like. And I say that because I'm investing a lot of dollars into these stupid ass little ships. I mean, they oh, look amazing. Player. Think of how great a single player would be like an actual physical playing like scenario, single player option. I know. Right. Um, you know, when you don't talk about Epic, you really like if there were some sort of of single player option or some sort of casual fun, that would be great. I'm going to jump in here real quick. This is something you guys may or may not know about. Uh, it was a lot of fun in 1.0. I played it. Um, it can be played single player. Uh, it can be played as a group as well. Uh, and I understand that they have adapted it to 2.0. Uh, there was a game system that was developed for X-Wing Miniatures called Heroes of the Atari Cluster. Uh, the way it worked was, think of it more like a legacy game. You pick your rebel ship, whether it's your X-Wing, your Y-Wing, your B-Wing, your A-Wing, whatever the case may be. You start out as a level 1 pilot. You score points for hitting opposing ships killing opposing ships, and remaining alive. Uh, each scenario, I think there was like 20-something scenarios, each scenario had a certain number of, uh, like the first one was, I think it was three ties and a tie interceptor. Uh, and then at turn four, three more ties and another tie interceptor entered the field. Uh, each Empire ship acted based on an AI card. So if there was an enemy ship in this range, in this arc, uh, it would control the maneuver the ship would do. And the, the, the Empire ships would hold formation until they flew close enough to a rock that it forced them to break formation. Uh, and then they would break the formation and fly away from each other. And it was a, a legacy-style game so that each game affected what happened in the next game. Uh, but it allowed you to play X-Wing single-player. Uh, it allowed you to play as a group D&D &D style. Uh, so the three of us could play potentially and not have to worry about flying the other ships because the AI cards flew the other ships for us. And it allowed you to, to complete a storyline where you were leveling up your character, 
uh, buying upgrades for your ship so you could buy a torpedo or you could buy an elite pilot talent and stuff like that. Uh, it was completely a uh, fan run. Matter of fact, you can still find uh, the 1.0 version online as a PDF. Uh, and I believe, like I said, that it has been adapted and modified so that it will work with 2.0 rulings as well. Awesome. And, and you know what, Charles? So your new task for the podcast and in two weeks or maybe three, we're going to we're, we're going to go through this. I actually want to go through this. I, yeah. I, I, I would love to do that. That's. That sounds amazing to me. And like, I'm not as for me, I under like Matt's Matt likes the, the single player being able to play by himself. And I think that's really good, especially because you don't have like, you don't always have somebody to play with like Marvel champions. I play by myself more times than I probably should. Um, and it's a feel bad because I would rather play with friends. Like I like the interaction, but I will tell you being able to play that game by myself, it be competitive enough for me um, to want to play it, be fun enough to play it. That type of thing is important because especially during the pandemic, I mean, Matt and I played online games way more than we've ever done in my whole life. I've never played online games. It's never been a thing of mine ever. But like we couldn't Matt and I couldn't get in person to play Marvel Champions. We couldn't. So we had to play it on TTS, you know, not that and we did that because, you know, I don't want FG to ever shut that down. We even played in person with one another, too. So we did. Okay. Like what you we using- did. Yes. Yes, we did using that camera, right? Yeah, we we set up cameras and laptops, and that's how we played together. Like we did, well, we did that with X-wing too at first, and so we discovered TTS was easier to use. But yeah, we did. We actually set up cameras, and that that idea came from um, seeing other people do those things during the pandemic because nobody knew what to do because you couldn't hang out with each other. I mean, I lived with people that you know we couldn't get sick. Matt lived with people that couldn't get sick. We even if we wanted to hang out, we really couldn't because just in case something ever happened, we didn't want to kill anybody. But the idea behind that is amazing. And I guess I'm digressing a little bit from what our segment was to talk about Lemu. But the idea here is, is that that's what I want to see different about these other things. But in the meantime, I'm enjoying doing some competitive play. And I will, I will not lie and say that I ran a list that was, I mean, it's fun to run. I find it fun to run. Lots of people hate it though. But I won't say that we, you know, we, we ran in a tournament and I played a tournament and I, my goal was not to have fun. My goal was to win, to get a specific prize I wanted. I wanted a specific invite. That was my specific goal. Um, in the long run, I actually, um, accomplished the goal and I was a little surprised I did that. Um, honestly, I went four and two this weekend at Lamu, Lamu, however you say that. Um, I came in 30th overall. I can tell you there is a lot of regrets I have. Um, for instance, the first player I played was a Zam, um, Brewer Cret Grievous list, which I ran Six months ago, I knew how to play this damn list, and I'm sitting here going, oh my god, Like I should know how to do this. He won initiative, and it ended up screwing up half my list, and I lost by three points. Um, Three points. That was it. But I'll tell you, that player was really good when we played. Like He knew what I was doing because he's running the same bloody ship I was. Um, So the the best part about for me, for the Lemu thing was the fact that I was able to play in a competitive tournament online when no other things are happening. But now that I have my invite, now I could play. I have two more tournaments scheduled that I've already paid for. There is four more, I believe, on top of that, that they're holding three or four more that I could participate in. 
and my buddy and I were talking um, Saturday night because I'm disappointed I didn't hit top cut, top cut. I'm disappointed because I feel I should. I my my new goal now has to be hitting top cut more often than not, and it's sad because I'm just an overly competitive asshole. Um, but on the opposite side, if I want to play in these tournaments, these other two, I can run fun lists now. Like I can now do other things because I got the invite. I want to run fun lists, and I think that like. To me, this the, the playing in the competitive tournament, I need to take a step back. So I'm reflecting a little bit now, saying, why don't I take a step back? I should have done that beforehand. And why not run something that I find fun, such as a swarm, <laughs> um, and, and fit into the rules? Because we have Charles here, and Charles played this weekend, and Charles ran things that he actually liked to play <laughs> and things he thought were fun and competitive at the same time. But he actually was able to play something that he enjoyed a little bit more than I enjoy playing Jangle Zam. Though I will tell you, um, two fire sprays is the first thing I ever tried to make, tried to play that was meta. So it's not really out of my realm, but I don't know. It was not as fun as like if I had ran seven ships. Now I will tell you this straight up and honest. I have no issue with double fire spray lists. None whatsoever. The only thing that prevented me from flying a double fire spray list was the fact that for the scum faction, the faction that I uh, that I prefer over any other faction, uh, is the only available uh, scum fire spray is the bounty hunter, which is the I two generic, which I did fly this weekend. Uh, I tried to replicate that Zam uh, Brewer Cret Grievous list uh, in scum, and it wasn't horrible. Um, uh, I, I think it might be better in the hands of someone that's a little more experienced and knows what to do with it, but I like it. And the only thing that sucks with it is it's very dice dependent. So if my dice were on my side, Fenrau just, I think there was one game where I played against a gentleman and I got two range one shots against a Dengar. Um, I ghosted him off the board in two shots with five damage each shot. Uh, and I was a, and I was able to dodge all four. Of of Dengar shots at range one with Fenrau. My dice were in my corner for that. Uh, the dice ghosts had been uh, exercised from the table, at least for that game. Uh, and I was able to drop Dengar very, very quickly, which was my goal. I flew Fen straight at him. But there were other games where uh, I want to say it was uh, it was Obi Wan in the the Ada and three Jedi or three Delta uh, Delta Seven B Jedi Knights. Um, I did one damage that entire game. I could not lock them down. I could not hit them. Uh, my final round in round six was uh, Kylo, Major Von Reg, and Recoil. And hats off to that player. He dodged every arc. He dodged every block. He dodged every single thing. I, at one point, had three shots on Kylo, and Kylo dodged every single one of them between his tokens and his... Um, so overall I had a blast. I met six great people, uh, that gave me really good games. Uh, well, five games, one gentleman, we've got a rubber match scheduled because his computer, uh, gave out on him. So as soon as he is able to get a static connection and be able to play, uh, I want to play against him because I did get a win by a forfeit, uh, just because he couldn't compete. Uh, and I don't want to win that way. I want to see how his list would have done against mine just so that I can say, I actually earned that victory uh, eventually. What was he uh, running? Oh, uh, he was running... 
I want to say it was two V1s with thread tracers and discipline, uh, and three X1s with discipline and fire control systems. Hmm. Interesting. It left, it left him with a pretty large bid. Uh, he and I actually had a really good discussion about why he didn't choose to put uh, Prockets on any of the ships, uh, why he left it the way he did with such a deep bid. Um, and it was just because that's what felt right to him. Uh, you know, part of X-Wing is finding the list that works for you. Uh, Prockets puts a big target on your ship because you want that ship dead before it has the opportunity to throw them. Um, creating the synergy in your list is often a little bit more effective, I think, than trying to have that big alpha strike. Uh, but it really depends on your playstyle. He was a really nice guy. Uh, hopefully he listens to the podcast at some point and hears that I gave him a shout out and said how nice of a guy he was. But overall, um, I played all six rounds, which is something I don't normally do. Uh, normally I play until it is a for sure thing that I'm not going to make cut and then I drop out. Uh, I made, I think I placed 70. So right in the middle of the pack for the 134 people that had signed up for the tournament. I'm not upset. I did not run a meta list, so I didn't expect a meta finish. Um, although, to be fair, I can say that meta what? With the last two tournaments that have happened, we had Scum Han win one. We've had Bosk win one. I don't even know what the meta is anymore. So I'm looking forward to Dagobah and to see what changes come with it. Scum. That's, that's so, the so real cool. Yeah, scum. It's, it's scum in hyperspace. I'll tell you that right now. Scum in hyperspace yep. is pretty, pretty, pretty totes on the board. C can we go through your list real quick? I just want to go through your list, Charles. I, yeah. I, I know we're, we're over time, but I, I want to go through your list real quick. And I brought it up on the screen. I've got Fenral with Predator, the Fire Spray no, Bounty Hunter. I changed, with I changed that up. I switched up a little bit. So I took Predator off of Fenral. Uh, okay. And I put an ion cannon on Sarisu. Uh, just to give her a little bit more teeth. Uh, the Zam Thermal, Hull Upgrade, Cluster Mind, Andrasta. Everything else is correct. But I took. Uh, I put ion cannon on Sarisu. Other yep. than that, everything else you have is correct. So you have three point What else did I have? Oh, I had um, um, the target lock thing. Why can't I think of it? Uh, false transponder codes on the uh, bounty okay. hunter. On the yep, bounty which hunter, which makes sense. So I was at, I was at one ninety nine. There was actually a list where I flew against a gentleman, and uh, bless his patience, uh, I killed one of his ships, which triggered his cutthroat charges, uh, and allowed him to re uh, re uh, re up all of his false transponder codes. Uh, then every one of his ships took a shot at Zam, or took a shot at my bounty hunter that had Zam on it, and I had the card that allowed me to bounce my target lock. Uh, and so I wiped all of his false transponder codes back off the board the very next round of combat, uh, just because he kept shooting at Zam. Uh, so overall, though, that was the list that I ran. What was your question for it? No, I didn't have a question. I just actually wanted to go through your list because I, I, I think, I think the. So again, we talk about being fun, having casual play, and I think your list has enough teeth in it that it's not just casual, right? The idea right. is is that it has enough stuff that you can run and play without being casual, but at the same time, I could take this to my casual and not obliterate the board. Now, right. I will tell you I did take to my casual um, 
Jingle Zam list. So, but I did play. I I played three three games on Friday, and I only lost to one guy. Um, and I only lost by I think like four points. So that's kind of what solidified my decision to just run that. And then again. It's different ideas, different goals, different things. And I, and I think that's the big thing here is, is if we want to, you know, if you want to grow as a community, you don't always have to be competitive. It's fun to play in tournaments, though. I will tell you that. Like, I, I actually enjoy playing in tournaments even when I don't win. I'm more like Charles. Usually I drop after three or four time, you know, things. But, for example, we're going to LVO um, in January. So, I'm going with the idea that I'm going to play all day in person for once, which is crazy to me like that. Almost. I haven't, I've never had to do that. And I really hope right they now, have other... you better, you better eat your Wheaties that morning. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, I know because the way that they ran all these, these, the way Dion runs these tournaments with uh, gold squadron is like, you get so many minutes between things and that's it. There's no more. And for me, the bigger issue is, can I get to go pee? Now, I will tell you, I have started preparing per se, right? I drink a lot of, I drank a lot of water, um, mainly because it was during the day. I will tell you, when I ran those night tournaments, I, um, a hundred, I definitely had some scotch while I was playing, um, more than one time, more, more than one round, because it's like, hey, it's the middle of the night, I might as well, you know, enjoy myself too. And I think that's the idea. If you enjoy some of the competitive nature and you want to try something out, it's for the online stuff for 10 to 15 bucks. I mean, that's really nothing to just be able to play in something. And, you know, like our local doesn't charge, but some locals charge five or ten dollars. Right. So it's like whatever, five or ten bucks. That's that's a fun night. You're not going to go to a club. You're not going to go out drinking. You're not going to do anything for that. And I could tell you, like. Matt's been very courageous, and Matt, you can display them here. Go ahead, bring oh. them up. Matt gave away at our local some target lock tokens to some of the people that played, and it was kind of funny because one of the guys <laughs> who hosted his son played with us, and um, Matt did a random giveaway to a couple of people. I won them, and his this kid, this son came up to me. He's like, "I really like those. Can I have those?" And I was like, "Are you going to play with them?" Yes. Okay, if you play with them, here you go. You can have them, man. It, they're all yours. I'll just tell Matt to make me more for my birthday or for Christmas. That's that's all I got to do. I'll just be like, Matt, you owe me these for Christmas. <laughs> Don't give me anything else. Just make me Yo Baby Yoda tokens. That's all I care. Um, oh, and yeah. And don't forget today we're going to do it. I, what do you say? Like the first two people, I have two sets left. So the first two people that become Patreons at any level, they yep. will be sent these immediately. So, I mean, I think $2. Is that the cheap? Yep. That's our bottom it's level. Like two Perfect. or three bucks, something like that. I'll throw us a couple bucks for doing the show, and I will throw you a set of target locks. So for there you the go. first two people. Two people, yep. guys. Yep. For the first two Patreons that subscribe in the next, we'll, we'll say it in the next week. I'll give everybody a week. Um, we will give them out, and um, uh, we'll announce them next week live on the show. So. I don't know. What do you think, folks? The, this it's been a pretty fun run tonight. I, I I've oh. I've had fun. Obstacles are Have hard. It's nice that we uh, we had a chance to learn a little bit about them. It's there's so many different levels of it that um, it's hard to kind of go through it. So I'm glad we were able to go through a one on one on obstacles. It's funny because I will say that uh, in the GSP discords, uh, in the chats during some of their streams this week. 
uh, as well as the Fly Better group on X um, on uh, Xbox on Facebook. Um, there's been a lot of hey guys, do you have any episodes about obstacle placement and what the thoughts are behind them? And Ali Pocknell has one, but his I watched it. It's very deep into the thought process that goes behind it. Um, I don't get that deep. If you want that tournament level analysis, by all means, I highly recommend Ali Pocknell's version. Um, GSP has one, and they take a completely different take on it. I think Fly Better has one, and again, they take... Uh, thanks, Chris Allen, for ruining that ship for me. Um, but they take... Uh, you know, Everybody has their own take on how they do asteroids, how they do different things. So, you know... Take it or leave it, but again, it's all flavor and how you want to play it. So, by all means, go look at those and check them out, too. Awesome. With that being said, uh, let's go ahead and let's exit the show. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. We've had another amazing episode of Planning Phase Syndicate. We'll be back next week with episode 8. And I'm not going to tell you what we're going to talk about. you got to tune in. Next week, Sunday, live at 9 p.m. Eastern. And here's the tip. If you want to share with your friends the show, go ahead, grab our YouTube, grab our Twitch. Um, we do this live every Sunday night on Twitch, but we do upload them to YouTube within a day, as well as our um, podcast that streams on Apple, iTunes, and Google Play, and some other, I don't know, like I'm on like seven bloody things. So if you have a podcast, you're on there. We're definitely on Spotify, I can tell you that. I, I Google that shit. Um, also, if you like Epic Play, we will be having an Epic episode here within the next month where we talk about how to play Epic and everything that goes along with it. Thank you all and have an amazing night.